This is Truth Encounter, and we invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, where an amazing statement is made. God is for the body. Contrary to the asceticism that has degraded the human body throughout much of the history of the Christian church, a true biblical understanding will cause us to honor our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here is Dave Wurtzen with the conclusion of our study, A Commitment to Sexual Purity. God has a unique purpose for every single body. God has a unique design. No one looks exactly the same. Even identical twins don't look exactly the same. That gives tremendous value to your body. It's a priceless thing. It's to be used for the Lord. It's to be used, as Paul will tell us later, to glorify Him. It's to be used as the dwelling of Him. But I want you to see what else Paul said. Paul also said the Lord was for the body. Now that's a phrase the commentators usually jump right over. I've I've read very little discussion on the Lord is for the body. What in the world does that mean? That's one of the most powerful statements of this text. Because you know what Satan does down through the ages? is he tells people your body's desires are evil. They're wrong. Anything that brings pleasure to your body, any music that thrills your body, any music that that makes you respond in your body, that's evil. I even went to a conference one time when I was in college, and I was playing the guitar in in a trio. And we played the first night, and as I was playing, the kids started clapping, and they started beating their foot. And a dear evangelist came up to me afterwards, dumped all over me, said you need to put your guitar back in the case. Don't use it. Well, you can imagine, I don't play the piano very well. So if you tell me to put my guitar in the case, and that's what our trio had practiced with, you can imagine what we were like the rest of the weekend. What was wrong? Your music is evil because it makes people tap their foot. Whoever gave you the idea that God hates for people to tap their foot? God's for your body. Whoever gave the idea that it's wrong to clap your hands? The Lord's for your body. You see what I'm saying? The Lord gave you your body. When you eat a good meal and it feels good, you controlled it. You weren't mastered. So you didn't eat to your tank, but you just had a really good meal. You know that feeling you have when you ate right and it was good food like Mary makes? And you sit back and, boy, contentment. Do you know that God says, Dave, that's a gift. My wife is a gift. Her gifts are a gift. The food is a gift. And the Lord says, Dave, I'm for your body. Enjoy it. You know that a Greek Stoic, a philosopher, a Greek philosopher would never teach like that? You see, in Greek thinking, according to the Stoics, you can even read it in Plato. Socrates will speak like this. In the symposium, for example, it'll talk about your body being a prison house. And it's a prison house of what really counts in you. And what you need to do is to get out of this, this container and enter the world of true being. And this container is what holds you back. And it led to two bad things that were done with the body. Either the body was hurt and it was contorted and it was bruised in order to try to train passion which will never work. And that's called asceticism. 
or the body was indulged like the Corinthians were doing in this passage because they were saying, well, the body doesn't have any purpose. Do with it whatever you want to do with it. It doesn't make any difference. And Paul says, oh, no, no, no. Greek philosophy is wrong, Corinthians. God is for your body. Even in the sexual area. If the Lord leads you to marriage, for the tremendous bodily passions the great, beautiful appetites of sex to be met in a holy place, in a sacred place. And God is not saying that sex is wrong. He's saying that sex is so exclusive that it needs to be controlled and saved until the place where it can fulfill God's plan for the body. God is for your body. God loves your body. It's what the Lord has given us now to dwell in. And Paul goes on to say this. There's a future destiny for our body. You see, your body, unlike your stomach, and this is a very interesting thing, Paul tells us that the stomach is going to be destroyed. Evidently, when we receive our new heavenly body like the Lord, which according to 1 Corinthians 15 It's not going to be a mortal body. It will be immortal. It will not be of flesh. It will be of a spiritual nature. But it will have substance. Jesus in his resurrected body could be hugged, could be felt, could talk. But he transcended this present body. So Paul says our stomach is going to be destroyed. And some people say, well, amen to that. My bottle with food and trying to not be mastered by that will be over forever. Maybe it will. I'm not sure that Paul means that we won't eat in heaven. I don't know what the symbolism of the marriage supper of the Lamb will mean. I don't know whether we're going to eat real food. Then I don't know. We can wait till we get there. In fact, God might have something that's so much more glorious than food that who would ever think of having a turkey when you could have some eternal food. I don't know. I just know that it's in another dimension. But I do know that Paul is saying we're not going to really need to eat. You know, you're not going to need to eat to exist. Because you're going to exist on the fuel of divine eternal life forever and ever and ever. But Paul says your body is not going to be destroyed with your stomach. The Bible says that your body has a future destiny. Paul stresses to the Corinthians, the reason you can't use your body lightly, the reason you can't be involved in immorality, is because your body's going to be resurrected from the dead. Just like Christ was resurrected bodily from the dead, your body as well is going to be resurrected from the dead. And that's why, that's why you can't go to a prostitute. Because you can't treat your body that lightly. That's why you girls can't let a man inside of you that doesn't belong to you, that's not a child of God, that doesn't have the same values as you because your body's too valuable to do that. It has an eternal destiny. The Lord's so much in love with it, He's going to change it and transform it and make it an eternal body. So don't ever treat it lightly. That's why you don't get involved in immorality. It's not because God is keeping something from you, but it's because you're worth so much more than that. You dwell in an eternal body. It's rapidly growing old and creaking and groaning. But one day, the Lord is going to transform it by a gift of grace and it will be resurrected. A unique Biblical Christian faith. The Greeks talked about the flight of the Spirit. 
Jesus talked about taking our personalities home to be with him. But a joyous day where God once again breathes into the dust and changes it from dust to eternal substance and a body that will be able to praise God forever and ever. And we're going to sing with a new body. We're going to praise with a new body. We're going to enjoy a relationship with Christ with a new body. Therefore, don't treat your body lightly on this planet today. But what about the present value? That's the future value of our body. What about the present value? Look at verse 15. It says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? You ever stop and think about that? Is Christ bodily on the earth today? Have you ever been able to, to physically hug the Lord Jesus or to eat with Him like the disciples did? No. The Lord Jesus has ascended to the throne of God. He is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is in the heavenlies in a new body today, but He's not on the earth. But you know, Jesus' body is on the earth today. And you're it. Do you ever stop and think about that? Do you know what Paul is saying? He's saying that your body are the limbs of Jesus on planet earth. In fact, Paul believed this so strongly that he believed that when a believer was suffering, when a believer was persecuted, the body of Jesus was being persecuted, was suffering. It tells in Ephesians that we complete what is the fullness of Christ. Incredible idea. But it's true. As I talk to you today, as I teach you from the Holy Word, my mouth becomes the mouth of Jesus. Not me. Never me. And don't ever look to me as an authority. But I think we become part of the limbs of Christ. Do you understand how valuable it is? You are the arms and legs and eyes and ears. You are the body of Jesus in the world today. You see, that's what my dear brother forgot when he went to a motel room with an immoral woman. You see, he just forgot. And we could all do that. I don't say that in order to put him down because I want you to pray for me. It could happen to any one of us. But I want you to see the tragedy. I want you to see the detestableness. It's not like it says in the movies. It's not like it says on TV. There's no consequences. It's just like eating a meal. No, it isn't. It's taking, if you're a believer, it's taking part of the limbs of Christ and bringing it in connection, in unity, with the exact antithesis of all that Christ represents. The world knows that. Have you noticed that? The same world that says it's okay will suddenly scream bloody murder and say it's not okay. We won't put up with it. You can't tell us morality and then not live it. You see, those deep values, what is right, what is pure, we all know it deep in our heart. And through the power of Christ, we can live it. So our body has eternal value. It's going to be resurrected. Our body has present value as part of the limbs of Christ's body present in the world. Now here's Paul's argument. Food for the stomach. The stomach will be destroyed. It's not eternally significant. Therefore, you can eat whatever you want to, but not mastered by a physical appetite. Sex is a symbol of our union with Christ. We use our body in the sexual relationship. And Paul expresses 
that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What? Don't you know that your body is not only the limbs of Christ, but it is the holy, sacred temple of God? The body, unlike the stomach, will be resurrected, not destroyed. Therefore, it's eternally significant. Therefore, purity. Free to enjoy in marriage, but absolute abstinence outside of marriage. Sexual immorality. It's a false, abominable union. When a Christian takes his body and joins it with a prostitute, the believer takes the dwelling place of Christ, part of the limbs of Christ, and joins it with what is the exact abomination of our Lord. And that's why sexual immorality was wrong in the first century and why it's wrong today. You say, well, Dave, what are we going to do about it? We know it's wrong. We knew that before we came today. How are we going to handle it? We close with just some real practical advice. Number one, you've got to flee from it. Paul tells us in this passage, don't entertain it. Don't go near it. He tells you to flee from it. You've got to take active, vigilant effort, relying upon the Holy Spirit to turn away from it. When I was in Portugal, one of the missionaries, as we were playing basketball, we stopped for a rest. And I asked the missionary, I said, how is it going in Portugal? He said, it's tough. I said, why is it tough? He said, well, one of the areas is that pornography is everywhere. In Portugal, pornography is just right in front of you. You never have any policeman arresting anybody for anything to do with pornography. It's just accepted. Okay? He said, you know, Dave, every time I go to the grocery store, it's right there. But then he added this. He said, you know, in some ways it's better. In some ways it's good. Because it's so blatant that every single day, the Holy Spirit has to remind me that I have to make a decision. No, I'm going to turn away from it. And I have to be vigilant. And that missionary's example was a great reminder. The Holy Spirit said, you've got to flee. You've got to turn away. You see, Paul would say to every one of you this morning, he's saying, men, don't believe. Sports Illustrated, that's just innocent, isn't it? Just pictures. Just beautiful objects. Some of you are believing that. Some of our young men believe that. I want to stress something. There's nothing wrong with those desires. One day in marriage, the Lord will say, be exhilarated, be intoxicated with those desires. But it's because of the deep significance that today you can't just treat it like an it. Those were daughters in a magazine like that. That was a daughter in Playboy. Those are people, not it's. It's not just a beautiful object. There's a person there. And it's a person that doesn't belong to you. It's a person that isn't the object of your love. It's not a person that you've committed yourself to unselfishly. That's what's wrong with pornography. It makes sex a relationship with a thing, with an it. The tragedy of that is that Satan laughs all the way to the bank because the whole thing is an illusion. Ask any good photographer. It's all lighting. 
and makeup and technique. And some of you guys will never enjoy the real pleasure that God means for you to have in a real world with a real woman who does belong to you because you're chasing the phantom woman who's so beautiful, your ideal dream, and I hate to tell you, but she's not out there anywhere because she's just a satanic, deceptive lie. And you're a slave to a lie. What a tragedy to have relationships with a picture in a magazine and not have intimacy with a living, flesh and blood woman that's a gift to you from God. That's why I want our young boys and young girls to save themselves and to turn away. Because Satan's counterfeit is so sick and so deceptive. And Paul said you've got to flee from it. We need a bunch of Josephs. I love the story of Joseph. Potiphar's wife, classic case. Young man, older knockout woman. Summer of 42. About 1700 B.C. style. The classic temptation. Young man, absolutely Beautiful, knockout, mature woman who knows all the ropes. That's a classic storyline. Only in this story, the older woman says, man, I want you desperately. That's what every young man in the passionate, lustful, illicit side of his life, boy, to have a beautiful older woman that would desperately want me. And Joseph had it. Day after day, this knockout Egyptian. Just look at some of the, the cave paintings. Even after 5,000 years, some of the Egyptian girls still look pretty good. And Potiphar's wife was probably one of those women. And day after day, she said, I want you. I want you. You know what Joseph told her? He said two things. Joseph said, number one, I have a relationship with your master. Your husband trusted me. Your husband depended upon me. In fact, your husband let me have control over everything in his household. The only thing he kept from me was you. The reason he did that is because you belong to him as his wife, his exclusive person of love. And Joseph said, the reason I will not have sex with you is because it would be the break of relationship. Now, I want you to get this. Every single time there's immorality, a relationship is broken. Every single time there is immorality, a relationship is broken. It's not just a physical meal. It is the enjoyment of an illicit relationship. And in future years, there could be a wife who now belongs to you that weeps because you weren't exclusively for her. That's rough, but it's true. And anyone that's been involved in that immorality knows that it hurts. Knows that it's not okay deep inside. Sexual immorality is always the degradation of a relationship. If you're a young teenage couple going together, and you say, well, we love one another. And the guy says, man, if, if you really loved me, you would go all the way. If he really loved you, he'd never ask you to go all the way until the night after he had committed himself to a lifetime before his parents, before your parents, before his friends, before society. He was even willing to go legal about it and you got a paper. A man will never ask you in love. He will ask you in lust, but never in love to have relationships 
The phrase is, if you love me, will control until God's time. Please believe me. Please be a young Joseph. Don't break a relationship with a friend. The second thing Joseph said is, it would be a sin against my God. And that's what we've been learning today. Sexual immorality, most of all, is not just a sin against a brother or a sister, but it's a sin against our Lord God. Remember, your body is a sacred temple. Please remember that. Remember, your body belonged to the Lord, paid for by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, let's use our body to glorify Him, to praise Him, not for selfish passion. I never want to preach a message like this and leave it at this point because some of you are sitting there saying the sacred temple has been tarnished. Some of you young people have already had sex. About 35% of evangelical kids in churches like ours have sex before they're 18. Mom and Dad, that's just the reality of it. And so when I talk to you like I have today, some of you are sitting there, there's a tremendous burden of guilt on your life. Because some of you are saying, Dave, I wish someone would have told me this when I was young. Or some of you are saying, I wish I would have listened to that. I wish I wouldn't have rebelled against the Lord, but I did. And some of you have a tremendous sack. It's like a great big sack like Christian carried in Pilgrim's Progress. And it's just pulling you down. And Satan tells you every day of your life, you've already blown it. You'll never be right with God. You can never live up. You're already dirty and spoiled and ruined. So why don't you go all the way into that? And Jesus comes to you today. And He says, I am the great forgiver. I don't know how many of you have blown it in your marriages. And I don't need to know. I don't know how many of you young kids have already fooled around, and I don't need to know. But one thing I want to say to every one of you, you can be pure again. You can be clean again. Jesus Christ forgives. I hope you believe that. You say, well, David, it's so cheap. How in the world could anybody forgive him? Look what he did. Look what all these people do. There's some of you moms, when you hear about a girl that gets in trouble, you say, let's get her. You know why you're saying that? Because you're scared. we got to dump all over somebody else that's sinned, even if they ask for forgiveness, even if they've come back. And some of you deep in your heart say, wow, we need to get them. We need to make them a terrible example. That'll keep people from doing it. No, it won't. You say, Dave, how does Jesus forgive? And I want to tell you something. Jesus never forgives cheap. Nobody ever walks away from Jesus clean and pure, cheap. You say, well, Dave, how in the world can Jesus forgive a man or woman that blatantly goes out and commits immorality and does everything that you've told us not to do in 1 Corinthians 6? I'm going to tell you what and how. Because on the cross of Calvary, Jesus stretched out His arms and His side was pierced and His blood flowed and Jesus gave up His life. And He did it in your place and mine. You see, He hung on the cross and for a moment of time, 
immorality was placed upon his shoulders. And God the Father poured out all of his anger and all of his wrath against immorality. And God has a bucket full of it because of the wreck and the ruin that it brings to people's lives. And all that indignation, all that righteous fury on the cross of Calvary was poured out on the Son of God. And then it was let go. It was paid for. That's why God the Father can look at every one of you. If you come to Him and say, Jesus, I was wrong. I'm not right. It was wrong to go to bed with that person. It was wrong to do that. It was wrong to be involved in that. I want you to forgive me. You look at Jesus and you say, Jesus, forgive me. And Jesus looks at you and says, I have. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The Corinthians had gross sexual problems in the church. But Paul did not say Christianity had failed. He did not say that Jesus would reject them. He reminded them that they'd been bought with a price. Have you ever come to the place in your life where you have recognized that you were bought with a price? Jesus paid with his life so that your immorality could be forgiven. Like the Corinthians, we too can have even our sexual sins washed away by the cleansing, forgiving power of what Jesus Christ did for us when he hung on the cross. If you have looked back to Calvary for forgiveness, you also need to look back to the empty tomb for the power to live a moral life. The craziness and powerful seductive passion will never be conquered by Freudian analysis or by behavioristic techniques. The latest self-help books that tell you to repeat over and over again to yourself that you are a good person can never go head-to-head against the power of sexual sin. What Paul explained to us today alone can transform a human heart from the inside out. Take some time to study this passage on your own today and then make some personal decisions about how you will respond.